thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 443. Today, AC and I are going to talk about a small acquisition Microsoft has made and some other cloud news recorded live January 20th, 2022. This episode is brought to you by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. Back to the show. Good morning, AC. How you doing? Good. I'm doing just fine. And yourself, buddy? Very well. Very well. Huge news week for Microsoft this week. So we thought it would be a miss if we didn't talk about it. And a little bit about how it relates to the cloud, I suppose. So obviously, we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, what's been going on in your world? Not too, too much. Uh, I guess. Being sane been... and disease free? <laughs> uh, yeah, so far, so good, right? We had our first, actually, it was, it was funny, this week or yesterday, was the first time that we got a message from the school system saying that one of our kids was subject to a close contact. Gotcha. For the first time. So now granted our kids were out of school for all of last the last school year. So had yep. we gotten one then that would have been like more or less my problem because then it means they got a virus in their computer. But as they were all uh, virtual. But uh, eh, my joke wasn't funny. So but yeah we got we got it today. And I tell you, you know, and this is not a slam on the school board system or anything like that, but I wonder how effective these things really are. And not, and I don't mean that about so much about COVID, but I mean just in general. So, like by the time you've been exposed to something, whether it was a flu or whatever, and the school board gets around to being able to tell you, you know, even if it's even if it's the same day or it's the next day. I mean, does it really change anything? So like in our case, well, we just got it for my daughter, but the notice that came through, I mean, you're reading this email and I kept, I kept reading it a couple of different times. I'm like, there just seems to be so much stuff here that's counterintuitive where it's like your daughter was in close contact with someone five days ago. 
Like, <laughs> and she's been at, you know, I get it. I get it. The yeah. school system is just overloaded with this stuff right now, but I'm like, but even if they weren't, so if I'm in close contact with someone and then I don't get sick for like two or three days, be it COVID, be it the flu, be it, I don't know, hand, foot, mouth, whatever it is. By the time I know that I'm sick with it, I've already been around other people. And so I could have already been contagious around other people and I could have already gotten them sick. And so by the time I get this notice, it's like, it doesn't even make any sense. And then they're like, oh, and you know, because of the way the state of Florida works, you can choose to have your child be self-quarantined at home for seven days. And I'm like, so is that from the time from I got email or is that just two more days? He's already been fucked. He's like, what? Yeah, your useful? logic makes no sense, scoreboard. Yeah. Yeah, it's so a mess. I, it's just, you know, I, I feel for him because, I mean, you, they can't win anything on this one. I mean, it's just kind of like we got to do what we got to do and just kind of check the boxes. But yeah, no, exactly. It's kind of running the gauntlet at the moment, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, uh, about, it's a bit like that here as well. Is it? Yeah. So um, how have you been? Good, good. I'm, we're, I'm celebrating today because it is five days until the sun sets after 5 p.m. in Seattle. Really? Yep. <laughs> I'll take the small wins in life. Five, it's five days until it sets? Five days until, yeah. It's not like the COVID notice that you got. It was five days since the sun started setting after 5 p.m. This is five days until the sun starts setting. So, you know, the days are getting a little bit longer which is yeah. nice. There's this period up here where it's just misery, right? Mm-hmm. Where it go, where, where it's like, you know, and for all of our European friends in, in very northern, the northern reaches of the globe, they'll be like, whatever, dude. But here it sort of gets dark around, I don't know, four, I guess, mm. sometimes. Wow, really? Okay. In the darkest periods of the day, it'll get dark at like quarter to four or four o'clock or something. But, you know, it doesn't last a super long time. And so now we're, we're close to being back to after five. So the days are getting longer, which makes me happier. Sending their kids to school in the dark is not, not, not a lot of fun. So here you go. Here's for a little bit of context. So you're in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. I'm in the Southeast in Florida. And for us, the sun goes down. Sunset right now for us is about five minutes before 6 p.m. Oh, yeah. Our last light is about 620 is when we are right now. So how many, what's your, what's your latitude? Uh, I don't have ready access to that. So oh, you just, just look up Jacksonville on Wikipedia and it'll show a coordinate in the right hand bar. Seattle is 47 degrees, 36 minutes north. So that's roughly, roughly where I'm at. I'm guessing you're probably more like 35, maybe 32, something like that. God, I have actually no idea. We are 30 degrees. 30, north. okay, right. So we're another 17, 17 north from you. So yeah, it makes a massive difference the further north you go during winter, yeah. of course. And then yeah, likewise, same in summer, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Or so, reverse in summer. So what's, when's like your first light or when when's sunrise for you? I don't know. So for for us, it's like seven o'clock is like is first light. The sun's up at about seven seven forty nine. So you're about twenty minutes behind us. So we're so we got a little bit more sun than you do. So we're our sun comes up about twenty minutes before you and sets about an hour after you. Right. 
So we got about another hour and a half of sun. Anyway, you know, I'm sure that people who tune into this podcast are absolutely riveted by this. They're riveted by this. But um, anyway, yeah, so news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good news. So yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about the actual news. This episode is sponsored by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareKate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. And we're back. So the sun has definitely come up for a lot of gamers, or I guess it's set for many gamers. It depends on how you look at this. Yeah. So we obviously had huge news this week that Microsoft is attempting to buy Activision Blizzard. Mm. Um, and I say attempting because they've announced their intention to buy Activision Blizzard, but it's got some regulatory hoops to jump through. Mm. And... I actually don't know what the criteria is for requiring regulatory approval for an acquisition to go through. But is it of a certain size or public companies of a certain size? I'm not sure what the criteria is. But anyway, they've got to go and get the the green check mark from the government and from various governments as well around the world to do this acquisition. I'm, it's so that there are some opportunities for the government to say, no, you're going to be very anti-competitive by doing this and we're not going to allow it. So yeah. Hopefully, it's just a you know procedural thing they've got to go through. Yeah. So for those of you who have been living under a rock this past week, so just what we're talking about here is that Microsoft has made an acquisition or an attempted acquisition has to still has to go go through and get closed, but they announced their intent to acquire Blizzard, which or Activation Blizzard. So this is the value of the deal is sixty eight point seven billion dollars in an all-billion cash <laughs> transaction. So they're basically, Microsoft is buying Activision Blizzard for $95 a share. And that's buying up all of Blizzard's cash as well, which is, that's always kind of interesting to look at. When it closes, when the deal closes, Microsoft will become the third largest gaming company by revenue behind Transient and Sony. So this, what does this do? So I didn't know some of this. I didn't realize that that this company they were buying, I didn't realize that it was Activation Blizzard. I thought when they just bought Blizzard, they were it was just Blizzard. But I didn't realize that this also includes Activision and King, which means mm-hmm. that they're now, they own the franchises for Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Call of Duty, and Candy Crush. That's picking up the, the combined organization that they're purchasing has about 10,000 employees. It is bringing under a significant number of game titles and studios now going to be under Microsoft's watch. I think somewhere I read that they have are now going to have something along the lines of 43 different affiliated studios are now going to be under the Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft uh, brand in terms of gaming now, the Xbox brand. It's interesting because this is not the first gaming acquisition they've done, right? They bought Bungie years back, right? Mm-hmm. I think, gosh, I can't even remember the year actually now I think about it. They bought Bethesda Studios, Bethesda Softworks. Yeah, they so did that last that, year. That's like the, the for the likes of Fallout, the Fallout series, Elder Scrolls series, Doom, Commander Keen. There's a bunch, Wolfenstein. There's a ton of ton of interesting titles under Bethesda. 
And now they've made the move for obviously for Activision Blizzard. And there's a ton of franchises that come under that, under their banner as well. And it's just, I think what shocks me the most about this is not why they're doing it, but the size, like, my God, it's big. And it got me thinking, I was like, well, cash is becoming less and less valuable at the moment. And shareholders demand return on their money, right? Return on their investments. And cash just sitting around is an asset that's not really working for you. And so Microsoft spending $68 billion that would otherwise just be sitting there is obviously a important thing for them to do. So, hmm. yeah, it might seem like a lot, but they've got to get that money to work. Yeah, I mean, you look at this, like the move that they've made now. So th- this deal is not expected. They say it's not expected to close until their fiscal year 23, which... Their fiscal year, uh, fiscal year 2023 doesn't start until July the 1st. So it's the second, probably the second half of this calendar year is when they're expecting this to close. But when you look at this purchase, you know, let's put it, put in a little bit of perspective here, right? So this is $68.7 billion. Last year, they bought Bethesda and all of that, for all the stuff that that came along with it, you just enumerated. That was only for, I think, seven and a half billion dollars. Yeah, seven point five billion dollars. Bethesda was really a company called Zenimax Media, which is the parent company of Doom and the Fallout Studio. So that was huge. And that's on top of some of the other big acquisitions that they've had recently. Like LinkedIn was the biggest one they had done prior to to the Blizzard acquisition, which was, I think, what, twenty-six billion dollars? Something like that, yeah. I think it was like 26 billion. I forget what GitHub was, but if you go back, let's you know focus on another gaming acquisition. Remember when they bought Mojang, which is the yep. Minecraft guys, for I think two billion, something like that. It's been yeah. massively successful for them too. Mm. Yeah, the, it really the, has. The Mojang purchase, from what I can see, at least they've they've done very well out of it. I mean, Minecraft is still thriving, and um, uh, they've bought it to you know to Xbox and Windows 10. That you know, sort of the the non-Java versions of Minecraft. So they've done very well with it by keeping it a little bit separate. So yeah, so from a strategic perspective, my thought on this is, this is obviously a huge bet for Sarcha, right? Like this is this is some massive moment for him. And you know, under Barmer, Microsoft missed out on a few things. Probably the biggest of all was mobile with being totally sideswiped by Apple. And and of, yeah, and then he tried to make up for it with Nokia, and that was a disaster, and everything. Anyway, my guess is Sartre is looking at what's going on around the way people are consuming content, and just just the ravenous nature of content uh, consumption that's going on at the moment, coupled with everybody's been staying at home more, and you know not going to the movies as much, etc. And so, content in the living room is is the biggest thing on the block at the moment. Microsoft has largely missed the content wave. They don't have a streaming service with mm-hmm. content that they create like Netflix or or Apple, for example. Like mm-hmm. Apple, you know, has dove in with Apple TV Plus and they have their own original series and all that stuff. So Microsoft have missed that wave largely. I mean, they've got a streaming device with Xbox, but it's not their content, right? They're just clipping the ticket. And so my guess is they've missed the wave on movies and TV type, you know, what we would like typically call TV type content. Mm-hmm. But they've already got their foot in the door with Minecraft, which has been massively successful. They've already got their foot in the door with the Bethesda franchises that seems to be going okay. And so they're like, cool, well, why don't we double down and be the, the way I described it the other day was be the Netflix plus Hulu plus 
HBO of the gaming world. And they've already got Xbox Game Pass, which is a subscription gaming service. So they've got it, they can stock that with all the content and that they've got. It's already over a billion dollar business for them. And they they need to push more in there so it becomes more attractive. And so from a strategic point of view, I can absolutely see the attractiveness of it to them. But my God, it's a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It really is. You know, there's a lot of other pieces to this to kind of unpack from this. There's the competitive side, there's the deal. So we'll talk about the, I want to talk a little bit more about the deal, but you know, we, we definitely want to get into things about, there's a little bit of controversy around Blizzard as well. Maybe not a little bit, depends on, you know, probably a lot more specifically around their executives and their CEO and what we know about that. But Let's talk a little bit. Let me talk a little bit about the like the competitive side of this and like what this means as well. I can't speak too much on the Game Pass side because yeah, there's there's a huge opportunity here that they've done to be able to grab a boatload of eyeballs and monthly active users to be able to boost uh, Game Pass. When you look at all the Blizzard titles that are going to go into Game Pass, that makes it a heck of a lot more appealing to people who are not already subscribers. Yeah. Just, I mean, those titles, those are the, some of the biggest, Call of Duty is one of the biggest titles that's out there. Warcraft, right. Starcraft, right. those are some of the biggest freaking titles that are out there. One of the things that, you know, when Microsoft said, one, I do want to go back to something. They said that that they were going to, this deal was expected to close in 2023. So really what that means is we're sitting here in January. And so that means that they don't expect it to close for at least six months because 2023 is going to be July of 2022. Sorry, fiscal year 2023 is calendar year 2022, which goes all the way to June 2023, which means this deal could take up to 18 months for Microsoft to close. Now, that's not surprising because of this is already raising a lot of questions, although we do have a link here that's and that we're going to put in the show notes from an interview that was done on CNBC, where some people are saying we don't expect it to have regulatory regulatory issues. I don't know about that. I mean, I would be kind of surprised that it wouldn't have regulatory issues, especially going to all the different governments or jurisdictions around the world that that can rule on mm. on uh, anti-competitive things. Specifically, the United States, the European Union. I'm not sure if Asia has something like this in the China market and and, J- and Japan and what their story is there. But that could it could take a long time for them to close this deal. And I can see a lot of people, you know, raising exception to it. Most notably. I can see Sony saying, well, hold on a minute here, because the moment that this deal came out, by the close of business that day, Sony's valuation fell by $20 billion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I I don't blame them because Sony's also come out there and they've said kind of in a veiled, not in a veiled threat, but in a veiled kind of way, they're like, we have deals with Activision that you're going to have to honor and you can't just make some yeah. of these titles only available in Game Pass. You will have to continue to do it with yep. uh, with with Sony's service as well. And they did the same thing when they bought when they bought uh, Bethesda last mm. year as well. Mm. So I I know I totally get what you're saying. There's definitely hurdles they've got, regulatory hurdles they've got. I don't expect ultimately for them to cause a problem and I say that because so long as the combined the number three player, I think they're in clear air, if that makes sense. If they were combined going to be, you know, the market share leader of the gaming world by a long stretch and and being placed into a, a potential monopoly situation, hmm. then I could imagine they'll have a lot more problems. But being number three, 
I'm not so sure about. I think they'll get there in the end. But yeah, it might take some time. I think they'll point at things like GitHub and and use and Bethesda as examples of, hey, just because we buy something doesn't win. The new Microsoft is not going to use those things against our competitors. Like, you know, GitHub didn't kick off all of the all of the open source projects that it didn't like, or the you know, or competitors' projects that it didn't like off GitHub, and they've you know they've honoured the deals and from the Bethesda side and run both of those relatively separately. Another interesting thing to note is they've made Phil, what's his name, Schiller? Okay. No, not Schiller. He's the Apple guy. What's his last name? It's just escaped me. Spectre. Yeah, they've made him CEO of Microsoft Gaming, right? So, and not just with a title either, they've moved the marketing arm of Microsoft Gaming under him. Whereas previously it used to be under Chris Capicella, who runs all of marketing for Microsoft. And so they're setting it up as Microsoft Gaming Studios is like a separate business almost, mm-hmm. even though Phil will report to Satya. So I think they're setting themselves up to be positioned in a way that could be looked at as not anti-competitive and in an honorable that they'll honor their commitments and things like that to existing platforms and and things like that. So yeah, I don't contest it. So actually, I, I said Spectre. I meant I was that's incorrect. I should have said it's Phil Spencer. Spencer, um, that's right. Yeah, yes, he's the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. So I agree with you to the extent that they're not going to use it as an anti-competitive thing. But I think that what and I don't know if this is like I don't know how long they're going to sit around to be like number three with this acquisition. Mm-hmm. Because what's interesting about this acquisition, specifically if we think about just Game Pass, if this isn't so much of a deal of, you know, one company buys another company and, oh yeah, there's more people that are going to, that we just get all the eyeballs from what we just bought. So when Microsoft bought LinkedIn, I don't know if that deal ultimately resulted in more people using LinkedIn than were using it prior to it. Like there wasn't something about that deal that made LinkedIn more appealing. Or what Microsoft already had was more appealing. I don't think that when Microsoft bought GitHub, it made GitHub more appealing. It certainly made right, it less appealing right. to some people who are in the open source community and have yeah. like a, a bias against Microsoft. But sure, and they had their own work to do to show that hey, we're going to let it operate independently. However, with this, I see it as this is kind of like we're getting a huge boost right. We're buying a huge boost right now to our numbers, but at the same time, Game Pass is now so much more valuable than it was before this deal was announced, once this deal actually goes through, it was going to make, it made it so much, it's going to make it so much more appealing that it's almost like a growth play. Like somebody, when this deal is closed, you're going to look at this and go, yeah, Microsoft is number three right now, but Game Pass is now so much more appealing than it was, or Activision so much more appealing than it was before, because now I can subscribe to this and I get so much more. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I'm not a Game Pass subscriber, but... I also don't play many games, but I recognize the value of Call of Duty. I recognize the value of some of these other games. I'd look at it and go, okay, I wasn't a subscriber now, but now I'm actually considering it. Now I'd be, I'd be interested. Not me personally, but I can see that like looking at my kids or you know, you'll play games and stuff. I can see that going, okay, that's interesting. It is a really I, I'm not a subscriber yet, but I've I've definitely thought about it a couple of times. It's pretty attractive because mm-hmm. there are good games for Xbox as well as PC. Mm-hmm. Right, so it doesn't matter if you've got an Xbox or if you have a and or if you have a PC. Right, there's there's a lot to offer there, and this really bulks that out. And I think them growing and developing the number one game subscription service in the world will be extremely valuable to them as a business. 
Yeah. Yep. It's almost like this kind of, not only does this make the pie bigger, but this kind of lets the pie sit in the oven longer to let it get bigger and bigger and bigger over mm. time. Like I, this, I can definitely, I see the value in this going forward for Microsoft. I, I don't, like, I don't have this like negative view of this that, you know, oh, I hope they don't kill the gaming industry or I hope they don't do a good job. I, you know, I hope this is, this doesn't turn into being a bad, they're going to do a bad job with this. Like people were scared of when they did, when, when they bought GitHub. That's not a concern that I have. What I am interested to see, you know, bigger on the gaming side, I listened to a really good interview this week about this and how, you know, Microsoft Xbox doesn't sell poorly, but when you compare it to the competition, it's definitely not hmm. number one or number two. I mean, in fact, I saw a stat last week that showed if you compare PlayStation, Oculus 2, and Xbox, Xbox is number three. Mm-hmm. Oculus actually outsold um, X, new Xbox consoles last year. Mm-hmm. And apparently, the, I, the, what this, this interview was talking about was that how Microsoft is so much more focused to, to say, we don't care how you get the content. We have a console, but we really don't care. We actually want mm-hmm. to make it even easier for you to be able to get the content delivered via an app. The same way that I go, we have how we have Netflix or we have Apple TV. I could mm. I could go buy a device from Apple that that gives me Apple TV, but my LG smart TV's got the Apple TV app, and I can get it the exact same way from on my TV. So, and I think that they're moving more in that direction. It's a little surprising to me. I mean, like the, the techie side of me is like going, yeah, but these consoles, how can you just how can we just say that we're going to do all this stuff? you know, in the cloud, gaming in the cloud and Mm. streaming it and seeing the kind of, you know, not seeing latency issues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Eventually we'll get there. I don't, I'm not a huge gamer. And so I don't, I'm speaking from like my experience of (laughs) five, 10 years ago of gaming. So those, those experiences already exist, but you know, they're not mainstream yet. Right. And the tech will get better as connections get better, et cetera. But yeah, no, I agree. I think they'll want this stuff everywhere they possibly can, but it really does strengthen the value proposition to buying an Xbox or a PC for gaming. They can give away Game Pass for a couple of months or whatever you get, what, you probably get over a hundred, you know, hundreds of titles. But I don't think that'll limit them to wanting to offer it just there. You're right. I think, I think that'd be silly to do that. They want it on, you know, they want it, you know, they've tried this with the iPhone, right? To get streaming games to the iPhone to be able to tap into that market. So I think that's really clever. It does, you know, the size of this does freak me out a little bit. Like I have wondered for a while, like at what size can a company get to before it defaults to fail? You know what I mean by that? So like, so the Roman empire, right? Expanded, 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 and kind of got too big for its boots and then collapsed under its own weight in some respects. And so I wonder like this constant strive for growth is there a natural breaking point that we haven't hit yet for companies where they just get so big that there's no way they, they can't fail without changing the way they do business? And one of those ways might be breaking themselves up, right? So like what we've seen here with, with Phil Spencer getting CEO of Microsoft Gaming, is that setting them up for selling part of it? Microsoft tried this with the CRM or the Dynamics business years ago where it was really weird, like the Microsoft org chart was all nice and arranged well and all that. And then sticking out on the side, yeah. like a dog leg peeing on a hydrant was the Dynamics org at Microsoft. <laughs> and everybody's like, well, they're going to try and sell that. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't, I, I assume they couldn't find a buyer or something along those lines because they're still in the Dynamics business. But everybody looked at it like, wow, they're setting that up to be spun off. And 
I wonder about the same thing with gaming, that you know, can Microsoft continue to thrive at the size it is? Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember years ago, there was, a, there was a blogger called Mini Microsoft? Oh, yeah. Remember him? Yep, yep. This is the moment I really want Mini to come back and chime mm-hmm. in on this. Because because mm-hmm. their whole thing, I don't know if it was a he or she, their whole thing was like Microsoft's getting too big. And that's back when the company was like 60,000 people, something like that. <laughs> this was back in the Obama days, right? And so mm. I'd love to hear what Mini has to say if they're still at Microsoft. I have the exact same concern. I thought the same thing. There was and You did a good job of putting of putting my feelings into, into words because I didn't know, I didn't, there was something about the steel that I was just like, dude, your jaw hits the ground. Mm. But then there's this like undercurrent of like something's nagging at you going like, yeah, but, but this is something, it's something just, it feels a little different. It's starting mm. to feel different now. And you, know, you look at Microsoft and I, you make the exact same argument about Apple, like Microsoft, you've always been about enterprise business and enterprise software and, Productivity and stuff. I get that. And then, you know, working for the cloud, like, you know, focusing on Azure, I get that. And now working on the content business. And it's like, uh, okay, I get the gaming side. And Xbox has always kind of been that stepchild that, you know, has always been, are we going to get rid of this thing? Are we not get, not implying that we should get rid of stepchildren if you have stepchildren? But, you know, this thing that's sitting off to the side here, like, do we get rid of it? Do we not get rid of it? Where are we going with this? You look at the same thing with Apple, right? What's Apple's core business? Their, Apple's core business is devices, but it's also turning into, it's also now services. So it's their iCloud service, but it's also music. It's their arcade service for gaming. It's their Apple TV business. It's their fitness business that they now, they've now gotten into. And there's rumors they're going to have a car. So you kind of look at some of these companies and you're like going, I get the enticement of kind of going to that next, to going to another, a new line of business and bringing a new revenue stream in. Mm. But at a certain point, it's kind of like you look at somebody like Apple, or you look at somebody like Microsoft and like, you're kind of like a GE now. Right. You right. go from, you build like nuclear reactors, but then you also build washing machines and refrigerators. That's and exactly, also, that's exactly like, what was on the tip of my tongue, GE, right? You're building jet engines for goodness sake. <laughs> And, and and washing machines and fridges and all of the things. And you're a designer of nuclear reactors. I mean, it's like yeah, it is. Yeah, that I think that's a valid point. Like, and when I say spit, like splitting off, say the gaming division or whatever, it doesn't mean that Microsoft doesn't own a massive chunk of it. Like they can they can yeah. be a wholly owned subsidiary, but run as a separate business, like LinkedIn is. Right, LinkedIn is still considered a separate business. Same with GitHub. Such has actually been pretty good about that, as opposed to trying to merge everything. Because merging, like, Ugh. like yeah, the the Yammer acquisition, for example, was so hard from a putting smushing two companies with vastly different cultures mm-hmm. together. And yeah, anyway, and besides the tech, and then all you add all the tech in on top. So you know, Such has been pretty good about not, you know doing unnatural acts to smush two companies together, like you must be integrated. They've been pretty good. He's been pretty good at that. So maybe that's the way he's getting away with it. But yeah, at some point you've got to wonder just how big they can get. When it's almost, there's, and there, the other thing that I think is a little bit concerning to me, a concern may be too strong, but just like a, you have kind of like that, I don't know if this is really what I want, where if I was a big time gamer, 
do I really want the company that I do all of my work stuff with? Mm. Do I want the same account or identities to live under that same umbrella, ultimate umbrella? Mm. Like I look at Microsoft as like my work company. So Microsoft 365, all my contents there. You know, I, mm. I do all my, my official business type stuff there that runs my business. All that stuff is there. But when I take the work hat off and I go into consumption mode, I want to watch stuff. I want to consume stuff. Kind of think about that like in my devices. Kind of look at that as like, that's my Apple experience. Yeah. Like, throw a couple services in there like Netflix or Amazon Prime or stuff like that in there. But I look at Apple as like my consumption service. Like that's my consumer side. Whereas my, my work side is all on the Microsoft side. When yeah. those two things start to kind of overlap, I think that that's where things are kind of like, eh, that's a little mm, gotcha. weird here. Gotcha. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I guess I, I don't worry so much about that as much. And I, I don't know why. I guess maybe because I've worked for them for a while or something. I trust them more. I don't know. Yeah. Strange. Let's also not forget about the troubles that Activision Blizzard have been in, right? So it may be news to some, but they've had massive issues over the last year. I think the last year, maybe longer, with sexual harassment allegations, lawsuits, internal drama as well, along with that, including employees going on strike, walking out, picketing outside their offices. The CEOs come under massifier. I would go so far as to say the CEO is the most toxic CEO in tech right now because of all of these reasons. And so, you know, Microsoft are inheriting a bit of a hornet's nest of problems that they're going to have to resolve. Hey, a good acquisition is a great opportunity to kick out a bunch of management, mm-hmm. refresh the uh, exec levels of the company, kick out the bad eggs and sort of reboot the the culture or at least try to restart the good parts of the culture. And so, you know, the rumor has it, I think you, you're mentioning that it's been rumored in the news that the CEO will be, will no longer, will, won't work at the company after the acquisition is done, which I think would, you know, if he stayed on, it would be a monumental mistake from Microsoft's perspective, put you know, from them, from their side, yeah. if they didn't kick him out. He's just the poster child of a tech bro, chauvinistic, toxic tech CEO right now. Yeah, this has been going on for a while. I mean, we look at it, you know, just going back what, seven or eight months. In July of 2021 is when California sued Blizzard for promoting a culture of constant sexual harassment. And since then, yep. a lot more allegations have come out. Since all that stuff has come out, you know, they, they did... What was When did this happen? There was a... I don't know when this was... Oh, September of 2021, Blizzard reached an $18 million settlement with the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And since that settlement, 40 Activation Blizzard employees have... Well, they're no longer there. We don't know if they quit or if they were fired, but senior executives are no longer there. So, right. You know, I heard somebody else talking about this yesterday, and I thought I thought this was a good way to put it. Microsoft is they say all the right things and they seem to do all the right things when it comes to like corporate governance, doing the right thing, promoting minorities, promoting not doing all the stuff about that you're supposed to be doing as a good corporate citizen. And Blizzard has been like the poster boy of being a bad corporate citizen, just as much as Facebook has in terms of, you know, the stuff that they've been under fire for. In terms of sexual harassment and misconduct, Blizzard's been under that same kind of fire. And it will be interesting to see how Microsoft handles this because they're inheriting their 
deliberately inheriting a very toxic thing. And if any, for any other reason, other than just public perception, they have to go in and they have to clean house on a lot of this stuff and just being like, Nope, sorry, that's not where we got these guys. They don't, they're not, they don't follow our culture and they're out. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, they've got a bit of work to do. But the big question I have is when are we going to get Call of Duty for teams? <laughs> oh, God. God. <laughs> We've already got the meta people talking about the metaverse in there. Like metaverse Call of Duty and teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's get it into teams and so make meetings. Let's make meetings interesting. Okay, good. I'm glad you didn't just say where I thought you were going to go. <laughs> oh, no. I would never do that. They were never great. <laughs> <laughs> no, meetings were never great. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, I jest, of course, but no, it gives them some, gives them a good bit of ammo. So the, the other thing that I heard Sacha talk about, or at least it was in, in his email that he sent around that got published to Mark, you know, internal Microsoft mail, it got published on the, in the news. And I think they talked about this in the press as well, was this, that it gives them a bunch of assets around the metaverse. And I'm like, I mean, if I tilt my head sideways and squint real hard, I can see that. I'm guessing what they're saying is that people will want to do these activities when you're in the matrix, so to speak. And so Marks have to have a bunch of assets for that. I mean, that bit I can understand. But, you know, like having your Call of Duty armor sitting around the house and you and you <laughs> doesn't exactly scream high value to me but you know obviously these entertainment experiences in some alternative reality like the metaverse could be of value i guess yeah there was one interview where i saw it was like a 14 minute interview and apparently the metaverse was mentioned nine times when it came when this acquisition came up I see it as a bit of a stretch. I kind of see it as like, you know, hey, the dog that caught the car and it's kind of like going, oh, look, hey, we got a metaverse play. I'm curious to learn more, like what, what the metaverse story is going to be around, like what what uh, Blizzard investments are already there. At the same time, there's also an article that was going around this week at the Wall Street Journal that Microsoft has lost over 100 senior engineers and product yeah. managers to Facebook, or sorry, to Meta, working on their meta story. So... This to me is much more of Microsoft buying Blizzard about a content play. Does the metaverse fit factor into it? I don't know if it factors in so much on the actual acquisition than it is of just like a convenience of like, hey, you know, this is also something that we're going to get out of this. Kind of like the same thing of, oh, hey, look, we get some office park space in Silicon Valley. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. All right. We've beaten this massive acquisition to death. Let's jump into a couple of quick news things and then get onto our picks real quick. Yeah, so I wanted to, um, there are a couple things that I did want to throw out there specifically around Azure Kubernetes Service, AKS. Um, there have been a bunch of GA updates that have come out, some public preview stuff. I'm just going to throw this stuff out here. We have it in the show notes if you want to dig into it um, and go a little bit deeper on this. Microsoft announced general availability for support on AKS of ultra, ultra disks. FIPS enabled node pools in AKS are now generally available. Container D support for Windows is now generally available in AKS. There is also support for upgrade events. And then there's two public previews that they've announced. Kubernetes version alias support in AKS is now in public preview, as well as support for managed identities. Oh, sorry, this one does not does not have to do with AKS. There was public preview support. Uh, for managed identities have been has been added for Azure Cache for Redis as well. So those are just a bunch of, of Microsoft updates that are there. We also have a link here that we're going to throw in here about 
some updates from the Azure machine learning announcements that all came out in January of 2022. We'll throw that out there as well. Nice. Loves me some Kubernetes. I had to do it just for you, buddy. Thanks, just man. for you. All right. How about we go talk about some picks after a quick break? Sounds good. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what do you got for us this week? Remember the Parker Solar Probe? Vaguely. (laughs) Vaguely. Okay. (laughs) For the first time ever, a human object has now done a boop on the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Boop, I booped you. Yeah, literally the title of this Atlantic article is We Boop the Sun. So the Parker Solar Probe has flown through a part of the sun and now has now touched the chromosphere of the sun and taken samples of it as well. So basically it just is able to dip into the atmosphere of the sun, take collections and stuff as it did one of its flybys to be able to do some analysis of it and send some of those results back. To me... It's super cool. It did this last year a little bit. It also discovered an area where solar material churns before some of it escapes and becomes a solar wind, blowing away from the sun, going across the solar system. What's wow. cool about this one, though, is that they've done, yep, they've done even even more stuff, you know, even more uh, uh, collection of stuff from it. They don't. They are still. They're trying to figure out like where the solar wind comes from and how the manages to heat its atmosphere to two million degrees Fahrenheit, but yet the surface of the sun stays comparatively cooler by about 10,000 degrees. So it's like, wow, yeah. So like the atmosphere is 2 million degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Well, the surface is closer is like 10,000. So like, how does that happen? How does it, how does the actual body itself stay Mm -hmm. so much cooler than the atmosphere of the sun and radiating uh, so much heat? That's amazing. I'm just stunned. They can make something that can go that close to the sun without just melting. Amazing. It's, it's, it's freaking fascinating. Yeah. I've got another one that's less fascinating, but kind of interesting. If you are someone who grew up in the age of dial-up and beyond BB, BBSs, getting on to the internet with dial-up, which I remember, I thought I remembered until I saw this article. It's on Ars Technica and it's entitled Hark Back to the Late 90s with this recreation of the dial-up internet experience. So this guy has a YouTube video here that he's that goes along with his article where he's built a 90s, uh, what's the right term? Uh, like it would have been a system that you would have had in the late 90s, right? Mm. PC, spinning drives, floppy disks, the whole lot. Oh yeah, there you go. My actual ringtone. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> nice. And he boots the PC and does all that, gets into Windows, I think it's 98, Mm. and then gets online and checks out the internet experience that exists using that old technology. And man, it is, we have come a long way, Mm -hmm. right? You used to think, man, you you remember dial-up used to be slow. You had no idea just how slow it was until you go look at this. Like, it is absurdly slow. The computer, what seems like takes about 15 minutes to boot, like it is deathly slow, but it reminds you just how far we've come with computing and with the internet. And I just thought it was a really interesting and fascinating look back at what it used, what the experience used to be like. You know, what was interesting is he had to proxy. So he uses Netscape Navigator, if that wasn't 
you know, funny, <laughs> funny enough. And he has to proxy it. He has to proxy his internet traffic through a proxy that he's running that does just regular HTTP to HTTPS translation because nothing works with HTTPS on this old Windows 98 machine anymore because just the ciphers, the ciphers around TLS and all of that didn't exist back then. And basically nothing supports them anymore on the internet. And so he has to proxy to, to sort of remove the HTTPS part of the equation so that he can go to some websites and things like that. That's uh, interesting. So we've got, you've got very old computer languages like COBOL and Fortran that you can still write. We can actually have them run, but there are protocols that you simply, that simply will not work that are, have now become the dying language of the internet, of the, of the computer. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I noticed this the other day, actually, how, okay, my MacBook mm. sat there dormant for probably eight months mm. last year, right? And I fired it up earlier this year and I couldn't get online for a lot of things. They would just like open a browser and SSL wouldn't work. It was all to do with HTTPS and TLS. And it all had to do with the, I believe, what it came down to. Like, okay, so this the thing that cottoned me onto this was the time on the MacBook wouldn't update. So I had to go manually set the time on the computer. And then next time I booted it, it'd be back to that. And you know how does that automatically update your time box and the mm -hmm. settings? I'd do that and it still wouldn't update the time on my MacBook. And then I'd go online to try and find out why this might be the case. And I couldn't get online on a whole bunch of websites. There were cipher issues. And what I reckon what it, what the root cause of it was, was all of the root certificates that were on the Mac were old and had expired and couldn't be refreshed because I couldn't get on the internet to refresh them. Oh, and chicken so and like, egg. So like my Mac OS update system wouldn't work. I couldn't apply Mac OS patches because it couldn't reach to the uh, couldn't reach out to the update service to go get the patches. And so I was like, uh, what do I do? So I had to <laughs> do a reinstall and then everything magically sprung back to life. But anyway, my point was certs and ciphers, man. <laughs> like <laughs> They wrecked this uh, Windows 98 experience for surfing the internet, and they recently wrecked my MacBook surfing experience in 2022. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, it's one of those things like you get to that point and you're like, mm, I, as an engineer, you think you've covered like every scenario, and then it's like, what, this happened? You're like, huh. At first I thought, oh, there's got to be something wrong with my clock, and that's screwing up SSL, right? Because timing is important for that stuff. And so manually, right. I'd manually set the clock and that still didn't work. And then I was like, why can't I, why is my clock not automatically set anymore? And that's what led me down this garden path. And then I was like, oh, I can't get the updates. And why would that, oh God. Anyway, I never really got to the root of it, but I'm pretty sure it was to do with the root certificates. Man. Yeah. So anyway, crazy. Uh, lesson learned. I now open, I'm, I'm sitting at my desktop most of the time, hmm. but you know, every week or so I open my MacBook and make sure that uh, it gets its updates now. Mm. It's funny you say that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to switch, like away from a laptop and going back yeah. to just doing it, having a desk, a desk setup, and not having like a low powered laptop that I can use on the go. Yeah, yeah. The only reason, well, I have I have a, Mac, a small MacBook. I was traveling when I, I when I wanted it, and so that's the only reason I used it. That's the first time I'd fired it up in about eight months. Otherwise, I just take an iPad. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right, I see. Well, Bethesda and Activision Blizzard and Microsoft Gaming World is heating up and getting spicy. We'll see what happens with the acquisition. But uh, I'm going to give Sarcher a solid 11 out of 10 for putting money where his mouth is <laughs> ponying up for this acquisition. Man, I hope it's not too big a pill for them to swallow. Yeah, no kidding. This will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, regulatory issues that they run into and how quickly they can close this deal. So, Indeed, indeed. We'll see how it goes. Cool. All right, thanks for another great week. We'll catch everybody next time. I'll see everybody next week. Bye, CJ. Bye. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to Microsoft microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.